Um, we're going to turn now to, uh, to God's Word, and uh, we're continuing our study through uh, 1 Samuel and 1 Samuel 18, and you can follow along right there in your bulletin. This is the Word of the Lord. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the, the Philistine, the women came out of uh, the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him. He said, they've ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they've ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but it departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people, and David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out. And came in before them. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Gracious Father in heaven, we uh, thank you for your faithful love to us, and we thank you for your word that is a mirror for us. Uh, you know us better than we know ourselves, and we pray that you would study our own hearts now and that you might lead us to our Savior, Jesus, the one who has loved sinners like us. And so, Lord, we open our hearts to you, and uh, may you speak the truth to us by your Holy Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, a few months ago, I was uh, talking to someone who's new to our church, and they had made a, uh, an interesting observation about our worship service that we have on Sunday morning. And what they had said was that in uh, churches that they had been in in the past, they, uh, the focus of the service seemed to be guarding against the sins that are out in the world. You know, there's this unbelieving world out there, and the dangers of those sins against us as God's people. And one of the things they said is that coming to a church with a liturgy, the focus isn't so much on the sins of the world out there, but we every week confess our own sins. And that actually the most dangerous sins are not the sins of the world, but the sins that are in our hearts, our own sins. These are the ones that are the most dangerous, that need the most attention, that we need to be named and addressed most clearly for us. I thought that was a really interesting observation. I never really thought about that. Well, today we're talking about a particularly dangerous sin that is subtle, that we often don't even realize is at work in us, or we uh, often justify as just our own insecurity. But it's a sin that can do tremendous uh, damage, and it's envy. And I think generally uh, we don't think of envy as a very serious problem. You know, we say to people, 
oh, you get to go to that concert? I'm so envious, you know? And it's like, I'm so envious that you get to go to Hawaii or something like that, right? It's not a big deal, but I read a story recently about a, uh, a love triangle that ended badly in the late 80s. And in this small town in Iowa, there were these two gals who were rivals, and they were the two most beautiful women in this small town. One was Miss Harvest Queen, and the other was Miss Homecoming, and they both were in love with this charming, strapping young man, Jim, in the town. And so eventually... Jim chose one of the two of these rivals and got engaged to be married. And the rejected girl took a leather belt and strangled her rival, leaving the whole community in shock and horror. And you think, wow. It turns out that envy is a seed that when it is full grown, becomes murderous. And that is how the Bible uh, talks about it. You know, Cain murdered Abel because of envy. In uh, the book of Esther, Haman wanted to murder Mordecai because of envy. And Pilate saw that it was because of envy that the Jews wanted Jesus crucified. And the Heidelberg Catechism says, uh, says that forbidding murder, God teaches us that he hates the root of murder. Envy, hatred, anger, vindictiveness. In God's sight, all such are murder. And that should sober us because all of us, to varying degrees, uh, uh, have envy in our hearts. And, and so the story today that we're reading about is the envy between uh, King Saul and uh, that he had for David and how violent his envy became. And so I want to use this story as a meditation for us on this particular sin. I, I want to do that by answering three questions for us this morning from, uh, from 1 Samuel 18. This is what they are. How does envy grow? How does envy affect us, and how does God deal with the envious? Three insights for us. How does envy grow, how does envy affect us, and how does God deal with the envious? And my hope is that today God's word would act as a mirror for us to show us our own hearts and drive us to Christ that we might know his love more deeply. Okay, so three questions for us this morning. And the first is, how does envy grow? And I want to give a three-part answer to that question. How does envy grow? Three-part answer, okay? The first answer is that envy begins with someone close to us. Envy begins with someone close to us. And you see how this passage begins in verse 1. It says, As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. So what you have here is David and Saul both arriving together from, this is from the victory after David had killed Goliath and they had routed the Philistines. And so they're coming uh, home and David and Saul are both these soldiers who have this victory. And so they have a lot of similarities, Saul and David. They were, you know, Saul was anointed king. David had been anointed uh, as, as his replacement. And they were both warriors. They're military leaders. And the person Saul envies is not a priest or a prophet or an artist, someone who's very different than him, but a rival king and warrior, someone just like him. And that is who we envy, someone that we think, that could be me. We are so different. Why couldn't I have what they have? And, uh, and so that means, you know, I'm not going to envy LeBron James He's 6'9", best basketball player in the world, rich. It's not close enough. You know, it's not, I'm not really, there's no chance of me being LeBron James. So who am I, who am I going to envy? I'm going to envy other pastors. 
They have a bigger church. They have a more fruitful ministry. They're more well-read than I am. Someone that I think that could be me. Uh, if you're a salesman, you envy other salespeople in your office who are outselling you because they're closer to you. If you're a mom with young kids, you envy other moms with young kids. Jerry Bridges, in his book, Respectable Sins, says, the reason we're tempted to envy in these situations is that there are enough things alike that the differences tend to strike us in the face. That's how it was with Saul and David. And in some ways, you know, this increases the shame of envy because we often have envy for someone that we really should love because they are close to us. And, uh, you know, just two chapters ago, it had said that uh, Saul loved David greatly. He loved David. David was close to him. David served him. David became his armor bearer, and he played the lyre to comfort his heart. And, um, and a church is a perfect place for envy to grow because if we become competitive in our spiritual lives, in our friendships, in our parenting, whatever it is, and so it's people here that we should love, people that we're close to, people that are like us, they are the ones that we're most ten- tempted to envy. Okay, so first thing is that, you know, how does envy grow? Envy begins with someone who's close to us. Okay, second uh, second answer to that is that this person that's close to us has something that we covet. This person close to us has something that we covet. And you see there in verse 7, now it says, And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And I always think this song is hilarious that, you know, the two guys, you know, Saul's riding in as the king after his victory. And it's not just people are kind of whispering, you know, I heard David actually killed 10,000 and Saul. It's not like that. They made a song out of it. And everyone's singing. He's like, I hate that song about David singing the 10, killing the 10,000 Philistines. I hate that song. Saul covets the praise and adoration that David is receiving. He wants that praise and adoration. Now, in our, our culture, you know, people often conflate envy and covetousness, and we think that you know, they're related, but they're not the same thing. Covetousness is the desire for things that other people have. So that's in the Ten Commandments, right? You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor. So coveting is focused on the other person's things. And we have to be on guard because... Sin, when we enjoy a little bit of sin, we think we can just kind of manage it and it'll be like, I'm just going to have a little of that sin. I'm just going to keep it tucked away in the corner. But sin, whenever you do that, it starts to grow. And it grows more and more. And it never just stays that way. It never stays simply at, man, I wish I could have my neighbor's house or my neighbor's family or my neighbor's job or my neighbor's life. The little change from, wow, I wish I could, become, I could have that person's life becomes God owes me that person's life. And we think, this is unjust. This is unfair that I don't have that person's life. God has wronged me. God has injured me because I don't have that person's life. And so the little sin begins to grow into something stronger, and especially when we feed it. And because of this change of spirit, we see a third thing about how does envy grow. So first, it begins with someone who's close to us who has something that we covet. But the third thing is that it develops into resentment. It develops into resentment. And you see those words there in verse 8 where it says, And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. And he said, They've ascribed to David ten 
thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands, and what more can he have but the kingdom? And there's just a tremendous amount of resentment and, and self-pity in that statement. You can hear the self-pity in there. But you see what happens then in verse 9. Is it says, and Saul eyed David from that day on. In that verse, you see the difference between envy and coveting. Coveting is focusing on the thing that the person has, that you desire the thing that they have, your friend's house or money or marriage, the song of praise that David's getting, that you wish you were getting that praise. But envy turns from the desire for the thing into a hatred for the person. Uh, Saul doesn't want the praise and adoration anymore. He wants the harm of David. And so in my case, coveting, is wish, you know, oh, I wish I had the other pastor's big church building. Envy is having satisfaction when I find out that a pastor had a moral failing or that people are leaving his church. It's one of the most vile movements of the human heart. Envy thinks, oh, I'm glad that couple broke up or that marriage is having problems. I'm glad that person lost their job. I'm glad they're having trouble with their child. This is why envy is worse than coveting. Desire still has some remnant of good. You know, when you want love or you want praise, you know, that's not bad. It's when you disorder that love and that desire that it becomes bad. But envy becomes something more evil by wanting harm on another person. So this is how envy grows. It's someone's close to us, someone that usually that we should love, has something we want or covet, and since we feel it's unfair that we don't have it, we begin to resent them and wish ill to fall upon them and are glad when ill falls upon them. And this is an impulse of the heart that the more that we feed it, it grows and it becomes more powerful in us. And so that leads to our, uh, our second question. How does then envy affect us? When our hearts are given over to envy, how does it affect our lives? And Historically, envy has been considered one of the seven deadly sins, and much has been written about throughout Christian history about envy. And one place is in the, uh, the epic poem Paradise Lost, which is uh, uh, John Milton's elaboration on the, the fall of uh, humanity when uh, Satan wanted to get revenge against heaven by, you know, kind of corrupting humanity. That's how Satan was going to get revenge against God. And, you know, something you should know, uh, John Milton was blind, and uh, Paradise Lost was over 10,000 lines long, and he recited it to a scribe. I mean, the guy was absolute genius. And in book five of Paradise Lost is the fall of Satan. And guess what line the fall of Satan happens on? Line 666. He'd been keeping track of what line. Line 666, Satan falls. And I want to, I want to, and, and in that, uh, in book five, what's basically happening is there's this worship service in heaven where God the Father reveals to all the angels that his son is going to be the Messiah and be the most highly honored in heaven. And this is what it says about Satan. Fraught with envy, Against the Son of God, he could not bear through pride that sight and thought himself impaired. Deep malice thence conceiving and disdain, he resolved with all his legions to dislodge and leave unworshipped, unobeyed, the throne supreme, contemptuous. It was envy for the Son of God, Milton says, was Satan's fall. And it turns into pride, 
self-pity. You hear that line where he says he thought himself impaired. Malice, disdain, disobedience to God, and contempt. That's what envy does to us. And C.S. Lewis wrote a book about Paradise Lost, and he makes a comment about this, this, this scene of the saint of, uh, fall of Satan. He says, no one had in fact done anything to Satan. He was not hungry, nor overtasked, nor removed from his place, nor shunned, nor hated. He only thought himself impaired. In the midst of a world of light and love, of song and feast and dance, he could find nothing to think more interesting than his own prestige. So paints a picture of us starting to answer that question, how does envy affect us? And so we're going to answer that from this passage. Two things that we see in this passage about how envy affects us. Okay, the first is that envy is the death of our joy. Envy kills your joy. And there, there may be a momentary pleasure when you hear about another person's suffering and we're glad at someone else's misfortune. There's a slight pleasure for a short amount of time. But soon, as, as Saul began to eye David with hate, what happened the next thing? As soon as he started to say, I want harm for David, what happened? Verse 10. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre as he did day by day. And so there's this kind of depression that comes upon uh, Saul. And you might know that feeling of raving. You know, maybe not verbally. He's probably like yelling around his house. Uh, but his mind is just running over and over about David. He just can't let it go. It's robbing him of his joy. And it's exactly what Milton said about Satan, that he saw himself impaired. I've been wronged. I've been fairly, uh, unfairly treated. He's whipping himself up into a frenzy about it. When we envy people, it hurts them. It hurts us far more. We lose way more in it. Envy is the death of our joy. It's toxic poison to our souls. And because there's a slight temporary pleasure that comes from hearing about other people's harms, the way that we deal with our raving is by giving us other little shots of that pleasure. And so then the envy begins to grow and take us over more and more. So what's the effect of envy? First, it's the death of love, or sorry, the death of joy. The second thing is that envy is the death of love as well. And as I mentioned a couple chapters, uh, mentioned a couple chapters ago, Saul had, had said that he greatly loved David. But here now we read in, in the second part of verse 10, it says, Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. So Saul tries to kill David. And then you notice in verse 12, it says, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but it departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand, and he went out and came in before the people. Now, that might sound like Saul is promoting David, but what he's really doing is he's sending him out into battle because he hopes he'll get killed. Envy kills our love. Actually, 1 Corinthians 13, is the famous chapter in the Bible on love, says, love does not envy. Jonathan Edwards defined envy this way. He says, a spirit of dis envy is a spirit of dissatisfaction with and opposition to the prosperity and happiness of others as compared with our own. If love is wanting good for others and esteeming others better than ourselves, envy is wanting harm to them so that we can feel better than them. There is something in us 
that thinks envy is justified or right or what is owed to us, but the damage it does to us is severe. All of us deal with envy. And if there's envy in your life, or maybe you've let it grow, you've watered it or nurtured it instead of choking it out, I want to give you the opportunity today to repent. Repentance does not mean hating yourself. It means grieving a sin and turning away from it and turning to the God who loves sinners like you and me. Repentance is grace. Repentance is hope. It says, I don't have to live like this. And today, God's word is an opportunity, an invitation to us to turn from our envy, to turn from the anger in our own hearts, and turn to the Lord and say, Lord, I want you. Restore my joy. Restore my love. And repentance gives us the opportunity to answer our final question. So we've looked at how does envy grow? It's when someone close to us has something we covet, and so we resent them for it. How does envy affect us? It, it, it takes away both of our joy and our love. So finally, how does God deal with the envious? How does God deal with the envious? And you notice in the second part of verse 11 there, it says, but David evaded Saul twice. And there's a contrast here with the story of Goliath, which was the chapter just before. You know, both Goliath and Saul both want to kill David. And they both want to kill him with a spear. That's a kind of a parallel in the two, this two stories. But uh, David kills Goliath, but he doesn't kill Saul. He evades Saul. And he deals with Saul differently than he dealt with Goliath. And uh, Peter Lightheart says this, We need to spend as much time considering David's conflict with Saul as we do considering David's conflict with Goliath. And we should be inspired by his wiliness as much as we are by his courage. And so what does that teach us about how God deals with the envious? Is that God offers grace to the envious. God offers grace to, to us in our envy. And David, you know, he was the target of envy. And I mentioned at the beginning of this sermon. Do you know why Jesus died? Why was Jesus' blood shed? When the chief priest brought Jesus to Pontius Pilate during his trial, Mark 15 says Pontius Pilate perceived that it was because of envy that they had delivered him up. The religious leaders envied Jesus, his power, his authority, his wisdom, you know, all the crowds that were following him. And so they had him crucified. And of course, it had the opposite effect of what they wanted. Jesus was crucified and then he rose from the dead and he only became more famous because of his crucifixion. And the same thing happens in this passage. Saul sends David out to be killed, but what happens? Verse 14 says, and David had success in all his undertakings. The, the place he went to die became the place where it says at the end there, but all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. And the ironic thing about Jesus is the blood that envy shed became the very blood that frees us from envy. Envy shed blood and that blood has the power to free us from envy. And God approaches our raving heart that says, you've treated me unfairly. And he says, it's true. I've not given you what you deserve. You thought yourself impaired, injured by God, or wronged by God, but actually, Jesus was the one impaired and injured for you in your place. And I am offering you a love you don't deserve. Love you can make no demands for. Love that is not owed you, 
but love that is a free gift of grace, love that can only be humbly received by faith. Faith is the opposite of a heart of envy. And Saul deserved what happened to Goliath, but we'll find over and over again through the book of 1 Samuel is that David has opportunities to kill Saul and he doesn't kill him over and over again. He evades him and he's over and over again giving Saul an offer of grace. And Jesus does the same with us. What Jonathan Edwards said was our freedom from envy was to know that God knows our envy and he's not begrudged us one thing. He hasn't even spared his own son. He gave us his greatest treasure who we killed, but God has not resented us for it. And while we try to put others down so that we can feel above them, Jesus put himself down so that he could lift us up. And it's when you know that great, amazing love that envy begins to lose its grip. When the gospel works in our hearts, we know how generous God has been with us. And we see those close to us who have things we want, and instead of resenting them, we celebrate That God has been kind to them the way he's been kind to us. Your life is filled with things you don't deserve and my life is filled with things I don't deserve. Praise God. Instead of joy and love dying in us, they begin to grow in the place of envy. This is how God deals with the envious, is through Jesus. May we find our joy and contentment today in him. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we see in ourselves that we are not so different than Saul. His envy and comparisons, his competition, his anger. So Lord, we, uh, we come before you and we ask that you would wash us. We'd be grateful for all that you've given to us, life, provision, Above all, you've given us your son and your spirit, your great gifts, your greatest treasures, yourself. And so, Lord, uh, um, uh, wash us, restore to us joy and love in our Savior Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.